to Sunday school at Second Baptist. I'm glad you could be with me today. We're going to continue in the third chapter of Colossians today. And when we started this chapter, Paul was talking about the new man or the new self um, as a person becomes a Christian put it, they begin to put on the new self and throw off the old habits and um, you know God begins to change us and so he's trying to describe that to these new believers and so we, we studied the first part of the chapter and now we're going to begin and pick up at, at verses 18 uh, and go through the end of actually the the end of, of um, Colossians is the way that they do this I believe I'm saying that right I think next week they go to Philemon uh-huh that's right so let's get started um, and let's begin by reading verses 18 and 19 which this is chapter 3 now of Colossians verses 18 and 19. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So this is, um, you know, you often hear sermons preached about from this, this verse or others, you know, that talk about the relationship between husbands and wives. And, um, you know, it says... One of the things it says here is, wives, be subject to your husband. And, you know, in, in our modern society, of course, that's not um, that's not what you're going to hear on TV, is it? But the Bible is telling us that for a reason. And to be subject doesn't necessarily mean you're like a slave or a servant to your husband. That's not what it means. But it to me, the way that I view it is that if I, there, there's only one, you know, real boss in the family, it's hard to have two, and I don't want to be it. <laughs> and so, if if Clint gets to be the boss of the family, and I don't have to, then that's great, you know. And um, I think there is a reason that God suggested that it be this way in, in the Bible where it says this is because I have seen the opposite. And if you've seen the opposite, then you realize why it's good for it to be this way because I have seen relationships where the wife was very dominant. She was the boss. She told the husband what to do, and he did it, you know, and... When you have that relationship, then the husband is not going to step up and become the leader that he might be uh, because there's already a leader and he's chosen not to be. And I feel like that with the men being leaders in our church is a fine thing, you know, and we support them in that. And um, I try very hard not to portray myself as being anything but, um, you know, letting others be.
be the leaders, you know. So um, I think that's an important point that we can take out of this scripture. And then the other says, um, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them, you know. And so it kind of gives two different um, tasks for the husband and the wife. And for good reason, I guess, you know, that it would be easy enough if the husband is the head of the household for him to begin to look down on the wife and think, well, she doesn't do anything. I mean, I've got all the responsibility, you know. And so at the same time, it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance. And, um, you know, we, we wives have to step up and have input in decision-making. And husbands, you know, are supposed to let us do that, I think, you know, and not become bitter or um, treat us differently. It says, love your wives. So then let's go on to the children, verses 20 and 21. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Now, this is, again, kind of the two flip sides of the situation, that children are supposed to be obedient to their parents. But at the same time, it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And the, you have to think about how would you exasperate, how would a father exasperate the child? Maybe by being harsh or too... Um, having too many rules so that the child just feels oppressed, you know, and feels like rebelling because they're so, they're, they're being treated harshly. Um, and so it's a balance between these two things then, the children and the fathers get mentioned. You know, mothers, I think, treat children differently than fathers do. I mean, it's just the way it happens, you know. And so... Uh, mothers don't necessarily exasperate their children, though I guess they could. Um, you know, but there there may be other things that mothers would do that would not be healthy in a relationship, you know, with their child. So um, anyway, that's, you know, both of these are important for Christians in the way that we live in our own personal relationships as a Christian and the way that we treat each other. And then uh, it moves on and it's to in verse 22. It says, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, you know, of course, we don't have slaves, um, in America, or, you know, sometimes you hear a documentary or something where they say, oh, there are slaves, you know, but basically we don't have slaves in America anymore. But at the time that this was written, there were slaves and there were masters, you know, and there were free free men and, and enslaved people. And both of those were coming to Christianity and coming to Christ, becoming Christians. And so, you know, He's given this word to those who are slaves. He says, obey your master on earth. So 
in living out your life as a slave. You might not be able to change that, I guess is what he's saying. But while living that life, you can portray your Christianity by the way that you respond to your master. And um, this is... This is important when you get into, um, I'll say, the business world. You know, we don't have slaves, but we do have bosses and employees, don't we? And, you know, some of us might be bosses or might be employees. It's very important in the way that you treat those who might be under you. Um, and then also, if you are under someone, the way that you treat that person. Because that really reflects on the strength of your Christian walk as to how you behave yourself in the workplace, I guess you might say. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, that's just business. And I really, when I first, first few times I heard that, I thought, well, I don't know all about business then because I didn't realize that people did these sorts of things in business. But after I thought about it for a while, I thought, no, that's just an excuse for doing things harshly to another person and calling it business. So I don't agree with that anymore. You know, if somebody says, oh, well, that's just business, um, I, I don't agree with that. You know, I think that our Christian walk should be a walk that we walk every day, not just on Sundays or on Wednesday night when we're at the church. It has to be every day and with every encounter that we have with people. And then we we are showing the signs of a mature Christian. And, I, you know, that's the way it should be. And so let's go on now and read verses 23 to 25. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So I love this verse, especially the first part of it, because it talks about whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And I've thought about that sometimes when I was, uh, working either as a missionary or in other workplaces. You you may have experienced this as well, but people, if you work very hard, people are going to, some people are going to look down on you for doing that. They might call you names like Eager Beaver or whatever. You know, they look down on a person that, works hard and so you know the way that that I've chosen to work or to be is that I work as though I'm working unto the Lord or the work that I'm doing is for the Lord even though it might be for someone else and in that way I can do it with a cheerful attitude I can do it with maturity and all of those things, because I know that my outcome, 
the work that I produce needs to be something that the Lord would be proud of. And if we can take that attitude with everything that we do, then that's the way to become a mature Christian. And, and it also is a way to overlook um, if you work with someone who just gets on your last nerve. Because even if you work for them, if you can remind yourself, I need to portray my work as working for the Lord, doing the best, the very best that I can with this thing that I have to do uh, so that I make the Lord look good, you know, in, in my Christian walk. And if we can do that, then it helps you to ignore that person that's just determined to drag you down or to laugh about you behind your back or make fun of you because you're trying too hard or whatever. You know, there, there's all that that happens in the workplace, and I know that it does. Um, okay, let's go on forward now. We're going to go over into the beginning of um, chapter 4. So in verse 1, it begin, It goes back now, and it's we, we talked about slaves and how they were supposed to act. Now it's talking to the masters. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So now he's speaking to those who have slaves, who are slave owners. Maybe a person came to Christ and they owned slaves. Then they may have to change the way that they treat those people uh, based on their past uh, history and begin to treat them as Jesus would want them to treat, to treat their slaves. And again, you know, we can't, we can't speak to the dynamics of whether they, that means let them not be slaves anymore. You know, that might be a choice, but also it says treat them with justice and fairness. So definitely doing the right thing in a fair way, you know, for, for everyone that, that might work under you. And doing that because you have a remembrance that you have a master in heaven, that God is our master. And like it said in the verse just previous, those who do wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which they've done and that without partiality. So we will, um, you know, God is taking note of the way that we do things. And so we need to try our best to, to always be thoughtful enough to do things in the right way. And I can't say that I'm always successful with that. I'm sure that I do something sometimes that offend someone or they are disappointed in me or they feel like I should have done it better or more quickly or more efficiently or whatever I don't know but I try my best you know and that's the point is is what direction are you headed in I guess that's the point so let's look at verses two to four now again he's he's telling them more things that they need to do um as they grow and become mature Christians devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving Praying at the same time for us as well 
that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So what Paul was saying then is, you know, we should be devoted to prayer. We should pray um, frequently about situations and pray for, he wanted them to pray for him also, that a door would be open that he could share more, share the gospel, and that when he does share, that it would be clear. You know, we have those opportunities in our day to share the gospel if we will take them. I had an opportunity today, which is Thursday, um, to talk with someone who was looking at houses. And just, um, you know, it was just a moment. It was not a long, drawn-out conversation. It was just a moment where that person suddenly just opened up and said something uh, and made themselves open and vulnerable, I guess you might say. And I responded back, and hopefully I said the right thing. But I responded back, and I took the seriousness of what they had said and tried to also answer that in a serious way, you know. And I feel like that's what we need to do is when those opportunities present themselves, that, that the things we say um, may be clear. We need to pray for each other that we would have those chances and then that what we say would be clear and that the other person would be able to take that away and hold on to it and let it mean something in their lives, I guess you might say. Let's look then again at, in verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as those seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So I think this kind of adds on to what I was just saying. You know, it says conduct yourself with wisdom to, toward outsiders. And when he says outsiders, I think he's talking about people outside the body of believers who may look at us and not understand uh, what a Christian is and we want to conduct ourselves in a way that is uh, wise toward those people so that they can look at us and that you know some people say um, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read you know so that they can look at us and see that hey there's something there there's something different um this person is willing to have a spiritual conversation with me. This person cares about my problem. Or this person genuinely will pray for me if I have a sickness or whatever it is. You know, people begin to know that about you. And then um, it at the end of that sentence, it says, making the most of the opportunity. So an opportunity presents itself to us, whether we're at the pharmacy getting our medicine or we're at the grocery checking out or uh, someone we run across, you know, in the aisles of the grocery store or the man who's putting the vegetables on the shelf or whoever that we come across 
an opportunity will present itself. And then what we do with that is what we need to be prepared for. We need to think about those things. And we need to take the opportunity. You know, when I first, when I was a young person um, in my 20s, I was very uncomfortable with having what I would call spiritual conversations with people. You know, I didn't, I didn't often say the name of Jesus or um, try to give a testimony about something that had happened in my life or anything like that. And I was fairly shy, I guess, but, um, you know, I just felt so uncomfortable with it. And I remember the first times that I began to try to say something. I, it felt, I felt so awkward. I felt like I was, um, you know, embarrassing myself by the, the way that I did it. And I probably was, who knows. But, you know, there's a way to respond to people so that you can give them an encouraging word, I guess you might say, which is what I tried to do with this guy today. You know, you can give them an encouraging word without being preachy or um, given the standard answer. You know, you've heard people that might say, oh, well, you need to be in church. That's what you need to be. You know, if you're in church, then everything's going to be better. You know, and, and that's not untrue. That's not untrue. But when someone has a, a hurt in their life, you need to really get deeper than just saying you need to come to the building where we go and worship. Uh, you need to deal deeper than that, you know, with the and address the spiritual need that's there. And if we can do that, then we can begin to make a difference in people's lives. And then it talks about let your speech always be with grace or with graciousness as though seasoned with salt. So, you know, salt is a, something that adds flavor. Um, it makes the, the bland food taste good. It, if you get too much of it, it tastes bad. <laughs> and, but if you've seasoned something well with salt, then it brings out the flavor of that food. And so in the same way, if, if our, if our um, speech is gracious, it, it can bring out the, um, the, the point that we're trying to make with a person in a good way, you know, in a mature way and in a way that makes a difference in their life. And then, um, and it says in the second half of that sentence, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So the whole point of this is that as you interact with people, you'll know how to respond. You'll, you'll know what you should say at the moment that you have that opportunity to say it. Okay, now let's see. I think that is the, the end of this lesson. So going on from what we've just read to the end of Colossians, and if you read on through that, it's interesting. But it's basically uh, him saying 
goodbye greetings, if that's a word, you know. He's saying, be sure to say hello to this person and that person and tell them that, you know, we love them or we're praying for them or whatever, and uh, we greet them, and, and this other person greets them. And you can get some insights into who Paul was interacting with if you read through that list because some of them were slaves and some were free people and others, you know, that he, he personally was interacting with. So it's, it's um, good to read all the way to the end of the chapter. And so next week, we're going to begin to study in Philemon. And Philemon, you know, is there's not chapters in Philemon because it's just one little book or little letter, um, but it's just one. And so... Um, just read through it this week if you have an opportunity and then you'll be ready for next time and we'll look at that together as we go forward through the month of December. So thank you for being with me and I appreciate you watching and um, appreciate your prayers for me that I will be wise in the things that I say and I'll, I'll also pray.